Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The Juice on the Cues podcast on the Big Heads Media Network is presented by MyBookie.ag. At MyBookie, it's time to celebrate the college football season. Sign up now and make your first deposit to get a dollar-for-dollar match all the way up to $1,000. The best part is MyBookie has thousands of bets to choose from, from the full NFL slate to college football to the NBA playoffs. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code JUICEONCUES and double your first deposit now. Again, that's promo code JUICEONCUES. It's a no-brainer. Your winning season begins today only at mybookie.ag. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cues podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking to a Syracuse football legend and about the football team's first win of the season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is former Syracuse linebacker Daryl Smith. Daryl, thanks so much for coming on the program. How are you today? I'm all good, Wesley, and I appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course, Daryl, and it's a real pleasure to speak to you. I want to get you started on this one. I love the story of how you went from the gridiron to the cast iron. You're the chef behind 99 Eats and Amazeballs. Tell us about your journey from how you got there from Syracuse and the NFL. Well, the journey started, um, I was a grad student at Syracuse while I was in the NFL. And during the off season, I would come back and finish up classes at Newhouse and then go back down to Houston to um, finish up training camp. And so one day after class, I was hungry and decided to come home, have some meat and some sauce in the, um, in the fridge and in my, uh, my cupboard, I guess, in my, my cabinet. And I just whipped it up, like whipped together all of these ingredients that I had on hand. And I remember making the sauce and the meatballs and I ate it and immediately called my best friend, like, yo, you got to come over. Um, we got a winner. And he came over. We both ate it and were just amazed. So I was like, man, one day I could sell this. 
And so fast forward a few years, I um I had a brief stint with Tampa and then my second year with Houston, I was starting fullback. They moved me from linebacker to fullback and I hurt my neck in practice. And I um that was that was it. Uh, my neck is still messed up to this day, but I was released a few weeks later, um, finished up my master's degree, moved to New York City and worked in advertising. And then a uh, meatball competition came around. So full circle, I entered this meatball competition and I win. And it's my first ever food competition. I'm super excited. And after winning the competition, I'm like, well, if, if these people like it, how about we see if more people like the uh, like the food? And I came home after work one day and I applied to something called Smorgasburg, which is a really big food, a weekend food market down here in Brooklyn. I get into that, and so I would do these food markets on the weekends while I worked my nine to five during the week. We were super successful in our first stint at Smorgasburg, and a few months later, our company lost a really big client, and so my team was one of the teams let go um, to save money for the company. And when that happened, I just decided to take on my company full time. And so throughout the process, I'd already set up the LLC, which is 99 Eats LLC. And at that time, we were called 99 Meatballs because we focused on meatballs, um, the OG sauce, which is the sauce I made in college. We branded it the OG sauce, and this thing is so good, literally you could just put it on everything. And so I started with this one sauce and this one meatball recipe. And honestly, four years later, um, fast forward to beginning of this year, before COVID hit, man, we were killing it. Like so much notoriety, we were featured at Twitter for Black History Month. Um, we've catered at places like Verizon, Vice Media, BuzzFeed, Sesame Place. Um, we've gotten tons of um, press coverage. And then we were also in Smorgasburg again last year. And we were also in Barclays Center for this past season. And so I would say 99 each throughout this all has been the parent company to um, the food company, which is Amazeballs. So Amazeballs is how we serve food. It's the meatballs. It's all of the food we serve. And then 99 Eats is the umbrella company, which is the food as well as me as a personality and chef. Um, and then also along the lines, I've also been able to do content with a lot of brands. So I started off as a resident chef with Bed Bath Beyonds. Uh, they have a, a, a kitchen down in Sunset Park. And so I started off as a resident chef there. And we would film it. They would put it up on a website. And that content allowed me to um, be seen by some friends who were with a brand called Tastemade. And so with Tastemade, I've been able to do content for the past three years. I've done ambassadorships with Subway. I've gotten to travel around to the world, Brazil, Toronto, and um, host conferences alongside Food Network stars. Like, I've, I've, I've been able to do a lot through the content space as well. And so 99 Each is the food and content and community umbrella company, and Amazeballs is the food specifically where we get to share grandma's love um, through food and community. That's a lot, but, but that's what it is. No, Daryl, I love that story. Thanks so much for sharing it. And one other thing I know you're passionate about is social justice issues. 
over the summer you wrote and put on YouTube a story called Our People Are Dying and No One Is Protecting Us. For those people who haven't heard or seen it, can you tell us about it? Absolutely, man. I um growing up black is is different. I mean, like the the um the talks that our mothers and fathers have to have with us is probably different than a lot of other people just because we are always seen as a target. And this is a target that we can't erase. Like the color of our skin is something that we can't erase. So in high school, I remember my stepfather sat me down one day because I was wearing white T-shirts to school. And so white T-shirts were the, the thing. I used to wear like a 4 or 5X T-shirt, and I would try to like sneak out the house with it. And one day he just pulled me to the side like, look, you can't wear that because if you wear that, you are a target. And, and you are a target because every single other black kid out here is wearing exactly what you're wearing. And if one person does something wrong, you will be seen as um, as a target in the eyes of the police. And that was a, that was a, a, a crazy conversation because up until that time, like, you know, I just went through life as if this was normal. And, and for me, that was one turning point where I was like, damn, like, this, this is real because in high school, I've been stopped. Like, I've been stopped in a car full of black kids, and I'm driving, and, and there's no reason for, for the cops to stop me. And so all of these things just bubbled up. When you continuously see people who look like you being killed in the media, like, all of these things, they stick with you, and they begin to bubble up. And I remember um, when George Floyd died, like, it was a it was a crazy time because everybody stuck in the house. We live in Brooklyn, and so everybody's stuck in the house. I mean, like, and you have nothing else to look at but social media or the news or everywhere you look is just a cop sitting on this man's neck. And because of that, it was just all of these images started to reemerge in my mind, and I just went to the park. I uh, I cook over in Greenpoint, and so there's a there's the waterfront right there, and I just sat at the waterfront. And the words just came to me. Like I just sat down and I just began to write in my phone. And by that night, I had the story done. Like it was just me sitting in the park. I wrote all of whatever came to my mind. I just wrote it down. And if you if you haven't uh, read the the story of it or watched me read it, the story is just like it's just a feeling, man. Like it's something that when you read it, there's a feeling that I wanted you to feel when you read it. And that's it. Like it was it was just something that, that I felt that I needed to write so that people could feel how it feels to be black and to see all of these images reoccurring on media and, and what it feels like to have this, this sort of PTSD from it. And um yeah, like it, it was it was pretty successful. I got to um I pitched it to a couple brands like Chase Made, um and, and it was just tremendous how much support that they showed me and just like, yo, we, we want to share or um, we'll, we'll put you on the phone with this person. And so it was just a lot of love I got back for it because so many people could relate to it. Daryl, thank you so much for talking about that. Really appreciate the story. And I wanted to talk to you about Syracuse football because when the turnaround Syracuse football happened in the early 2010s, there were a bunch of names that come to mind. Doug Marone, Ryan Nassib, Doug Hogue, Delone Carter, and of course you. You were a two-time All-Big East linebacker, captain of the defense in your senior year. You had eight career force fumbles, second in Syracuse history. What were your favorite memories from your SU playing days? 
Well, one was the locker room. The locker room is, that's the thing that I would say, if you ask most football players what they miss most about playing the game, once they're done playing, is the locker room. Because it's just a space where everybody could come together and just be themselves. And it's also cool, just going back to the race thing, like it's, there's a lot of different ethnicities and, and backgrounds and everything in the locker room. And so you get to meet people and befriend people that you probably would never, ever come in contact with without football. And so that camaraderie, that brotherhood is the thing that I miss the most. Now, it's two specific um, games and plays that come to mind. One was when we beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame because they came in like they were – they're Notre Dame. Like any anytime you get to, to beat a team with that type of history – and at the time, they were they were pretty good. They had Golden Tate. They had um, Jimmy Clausen, who was a really big prospect coming out of high school. They had the uh, tight end for the Vikings. I forget his name. But they, they had some pretty good players. And I had a really good game. I had a really good game, and I had a really big role in that game. And so for me, that was something that I'll remember because that brotherhood that we built in the locker room, you could see it on the field. And we weren't we weren't that good that year, um, record wise, but we had a lot of talent on that team. And it was good to, to send the seniors off that year with something to remember. Um and then fast forward to my senior year, we played Rutgers and that was the game that determined if we go to a bowl game. And I remember none of us on the team at that time had ever been to a bowl game. And we were determined, like, I remember in preseason, Mike Holmes said, we, we guarantee we're going to go to a bowl game and win it. And it kind of set the president at, at Big East Media Day because he said it for all of the newspapers to hear. We just looked at him like, all right, bet. I guess we, we're going to do this. And, <laughs> yeah, like, it was crazy. And um, that game, we were, I believe we were either winning. Like, it was, it was very close. Put it that way. It was, it was a very close game. And... I remember they were in field goal position and the quarterback dropped back and they sent me on a blitz and I was cut by a offensive lineman and I crawled and grabbed the quarterback's foot foot and sacked him and that pushed them further back. And when the field goal kicker came, he missed the kick. And so for me, it was like, damn, like I, I was able to, like I did my job. I did what I was supposed to do to help my team um, win this game. Ultimately, we won the game, and that year we played in the pinstripe bowl against Kansas State, and we won that game as well. And so it was, it, I'll always remember that because, like, I, I did my job. I did what I was supposed to do as a captain of that team to help my team win. And it might not show up in the stat sheet. Like, it'll show up as a sack, but it won't show up how important that sack was to our season and to me personally. And yeah, man, I'll, I'll always remember that moment for the rest of my life. That definitely was an awesome moment. I remember how excited I was watching that play. And let's talk about the current team. Syracuse got its first win of the season against Georgia Tech. The new three-three-five defense picked off four interceptions. I wanted to see what you thought of the new defense and how it's looked through the first three games. And I also wanted to get your take as a former All-Big East linebacker on Michael Jones, who plays the same position that you did. Yeah, we um that boy's a dog. Like I got to uh I've seen some of his highlights. I know he went to IMG Academy and he was a thumper. And he uh he was also a pretty big recruit. And so 
more love to him because he he shows that he's fearless and he's also just taking on I think each year, man, after, not even after me. I mean, we had some dogs before me. You had K.J. Smith. You had um, Jerry Mackey. Um, I mean, like, and then after me, you you had Doug Holmes, who was my teammate. We had um, Marquis Spool. You got Cam Lynch. You got Zaire Franklin in the league now. And so it seems like each year we get a guy who is who carries on that, that, that baton and becomes that leader. And with Michael Jones, he seems like he's that leader of that defense now. Him and him and Cisco, and also Trill Williams. Man, we got we got a few players on that team right now who are who are making some noise. And um, just watching the defense this year, this new three three five. I remember before the season started, they mentioned that they got the new D coordinator and he was switching the defense. And I was like, man, this might not. This would be interesting because I haven't heard um, I haven't heard people use that as a base defense. Like usually you focus on stopping the run. Uh but with this defense that I'm I'm thoroughly surprised. It reminds me of a defense we ran under our defensive coordinator, Scott Schaefer, which was our Oki package, where it was you bring in uh like more athletes and you just blitz from everywhere. Like you it, it just creates so much confusion to the offense because you just come from everywhere. And that seems like – it seems like that's what they're doing this year. And it's being hella successful, man. Like, they, they've gotten so many turnovers over the past few games. And I'm looking at the defense like, man, this might be our strongest uh, – this might be our strongest unit. And I'm I'm very excited to just continue to watch them play. And specifically, I'm, I'm excited to watch Michael Jones just because, I mean, we play the same position. And that boy, he's killing it. And he's killed it at every single um, level. And so I'm excited to see him grow and progress and become the leader, like the the ones who have come before him. And, Daryl, we'll get you out of here on this one. How do you see the rest of the season playing out? And if you could be Coach Smith for a moment, what advice would you give the team? There's nowhere to go but up. I mean, I think that the last game, they did it the right way. They opened the dome the right way. And I think that as they continue to just come closer together, it's a weird year. Like this is this is this is going to be a weird year, and so the fact that they were able to rally together and get that first win, I think that hopefully it just creates this momentum where they continue that throughout the season. The offense, I mean, they they're struggling right now, but I think they they starting to click. If you watch the last game, homeboy Devito, he made a few throws. Um, the running back looks good. The freshman, he he looks like a beast. Like he's gonna be a beast. We lost a few players. A few players sat out. Cisco didn't even play, and so there was a lot to take from the last game and even the first couple games. I remember watching the North Carolina game and saying, "Like wow, we were just a few plays away," because we stood toe to toe with them and they were a ranked team. Um, Pittsburgh, same thing. Like we were in that game for for most of the game, and then they pulled away at the end. But I think we got a strong team, man. It's, it's a it's a weird year, but I'm I'm very confident in our ability to make some plays. And Dino, I mean, he he looks like he's he's coming into his own. Like he has his quarterback, he has his team, and these boys are coming together to play. And so I I think that the rest of the year we'll we'll get better. And if I could offer some advice, it would just be to get better each week. Like, don't don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what I'm saying. Don't worry about what the media is saying. Like, literally, you go out, play the game. You go back, you talk to your teammates, you watch your film, 
you make the adjustments, and then each week you just focus on getting better at one thing. And so all of a sudden at the end of the year, everything just clicks, and then you just go from there. So that would be my advice. Just get better each week. Daryl, thank you so much for coming on the program. Again, Syracuse legend and owner of 99 Eats and Amazeballs, Daryl Smith. Daryl, congratulations on all of your success. Really appreciate your time. We'll speak with you soon. No doubt, man. I appreciate you having me. Go Orange. Awesome stuff from our great friend Daryl Smith, and special thanks to Ira Berkowitz. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse picked up their first win of the season on a 37-20 win over Georgia Tech on Saturday. And Brad, that defense came through when Syracuse needed them the most. Four interceptions, Jihad Carter intercepting a pass in the fourth quarter and then lateraling it to Trill Williams, who took it to the house to put the game out of reach. So good to get back in the win column with the defense leading the charge. Obviously, the most important outcome, Wes, is getting that first W of the season and even better doing it at home and even better doing it in the renovated carrier dome and what a performance by the defense but I'll throw out one slight negative here you still have to have a little bit more offense to win games in the ACC but let's uh, spotlight the positive another great defensive effort for the Orange they had a great defensive effort in the loss to North Carolina through three quarters almost the same in the loss to Pittsburgh in game two uh, throughout much of the second half And against the Georgia Tech team that has a lot of young talent, they were able to get the muscles going there and and stifle the Georgia Tech offense and then really get a lot of pressure on the quarterback to cause discomfort and create interceptions and turnovers. And just a heads-up play on one of the interceptions to lateral back to Trill Williams. And, boy, Trill is certainly a thrill in how he performs on the field defensively for the Orange, especially as the secondary was playing minus Andre Sisco against Georgia Tech due to a freaky pregame injury. So the defense was standing out again uh, so far this season, and now the offense has got to get going a little bit. The The offense did come alive with some great touchdown passes from Tommy DeVito and, of course, from freshman running back Sean Tucker, who really showed that he may be the answer there for the running game for the rest of the season. One other negative, though, they did start out early throwing to the tight ends. I really would like to see more plays to the tight ends because I think that keeps a defense honest if you can run some shorter passes or even parallel-type passes to the tight ends. That can create opportunities to get the long game going, the deep passing, which Syracuse was able to do a couple times against Georgia Tech. Brad, you talked about the offense needing more, but they got exactly that from running back Sean Tucker in the first half. 15 rushes for 100 yards and two touchdowns. He was mostly stymied in the second half, but he was the spark they needed from the true freshman. Absolutely, Wes. It was just what the doctor ordered from the running game after losing the top two backs, opting out for the season, struggling in the running game in the first two games. And Sean Tucker sort of reminds me of David Walker circa early 1990s, really kind of smaller on the smaller side, but really shifty and uh, ha- has great balance as he uh, exemplified on the first touchdown run where it almost looked like his knee was down, but it wasn't, and he kept on going for the uh, the touchdown, John. So he's a player to keep an eye on in the future. The offensive line, I thought, had a better game, but still struggled, still struggled with some penalties. And overall, you're not going to get five turnovers in every game. So this is why it's going to be really important for the offense to keep on kicking. 
I think they will get better as each week goes by. I think this open week coming up comes at a perfect time uh, for the team, for the coaching staff to do a lot of teaching, watching the film after the first three games. And I, I really think that the fact that Syracuse gets to stay at home for its next two games is also a big loss before having to go down to Clemson in late October. But there's just so much overall to take from this win and work with the team to get it better for this season. Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. I want to focus on a couple of ex-Dino Babers players from last season, two rookie National Football League, Alton Robinson of the Seattle Seahawks, the uh, Seahawks' fifth-round draft pick out of the Cuse, got his first career sack in a win over the Dallas Cowboys Sunday. Overall, he was in on three tackles, so he's really bringing it early on, his first career NFL game for Pete Carroll's Seattle Seahawks. And then Sterling Hoffrichter, the punter for the Atlanta Falcons, while the Falcons are having a disappointing start at 0-3, and he's been not only punting, where he has 12 punts for just about a 41-yard average, also been handling kickoffs for Atlanta. It's a double duty for Sterling Huffrichter, who I think will have a fine kicking career in the NFL. And a quick look at a couple of rookies in the National Football League that used to wear orange. Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse guard Dion Waiters. Waiters is a member of the Los Angeles Lakers who will begin the NBA Finals against the Miami Heat tonight. Believe it or not, it's been 40 years since Syracuse had an alumni play in the NBA Finals. You have to go all the way back to Marty Barnes, who was a member of the 1980 Los Angeles Lakers championship team and logged a single minute in Game 6 when the Lakers defeated the 76ers four games to two. Waiters plays a similar role in the Lakers, but it's still nice to see an orange hue to the NBA Finals. That's it for us. for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that I have a great character idea, a mobster who's anal retentive involved in extremely organized crime. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network.